Well, I'd like to thank Mr. Adams for reading the scriptures so clearly to us, and Mr. Thompson for leading the meeting. And let me say it is lovely to be here with you tonight, counted a privilege to be the speaker this evening, and I trust the Lord will bless us as we look at this subject together. Is Protestantism relevant in the 21st century? With a subject like that, I think I'm preaching to the gallery a little. I'd imagine everyone knows the answer at a gathering like this, but nonetheless, it's an important question, and a question that is being asked in society today. But just before we examine this subject, I want you to look at the verse 29 from the portion that we have just heard read. And David asks a similar question, maybe not as accurately or as detailed as we are asking, is Protestantism relevant in the 21st century? But a similar question with a similar vein. It says in the verse 29, And David said, said to his older brother, What have I now done? And this is the question. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? With our Bibles open before God, let's seek the Lord's face in a word of prayer once again, please. Let us all pray. Eternal God and loving Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee and praise Thee for the opportunity to still ourselves from the hustle and bustle of the things of this world, to gather in Thy house and to look at this important subject. We pray that Thou give each one, young and old, a resolve to be a Protestant in these dark days of apostasy and declension. And we pray that that help us all to determine to stand four square upon the Scriptures of truth. No matter who may stand against us, help us to always know that we are fighting in the power of God. And if God be for us, who can be against us? But bless us now, undertake for the need. We ask these things in and through the Saviour's lovely name. Amen. Is Protestantism relevant in the 21st century? Today we do have a vitally important subject before us. Sadly, it's a subject that many don't like to consider. Protestantism largely today is a dirty word. People don't like to consider it, or maybe worse than not liking to consider it, it's a subject that some people are completely oblivious to. Not a clue about what Protestantism is or what a Protestant stands for. We live in a day and an age when people at times think about Protestantism and then they will think, well, think of history and then think, well, sure, it's one of those things that maybe affected society in bygone days. And, but sure, all of those things, it's not relevant today. It should be just consigned to the history books and forgotten from now on. It doesn't affect my life in that sense. Or there's still the attitude of hatred towards Protestants, Protestantism, hatred from Rome, the apostasy, any shadow of liberalism or compromise in between. But then there is this group in society that I find most worries me, and it is those that are completely ignorant, completely ignorant as to Protestantism and all that it means and how it is precious to us. People from all ages, young and old, people from all sorts of backgrounds, even in so-called Protestant Ulster tonight, among many in the unionist or loyalist communities, and they call themselves Protestant, but yet, if truth be told, not a clue as to what Protestantism actually is. 
from all ages, backgrounds, classes, just not a clue about Protestantism. And I do believe, as Bible-believing Protestants tonight, we, we do need to possess the same attitude that we see here in 1 Samuel chapter 17 from David. And it's very interesting when you consider David. David in this chapter is a nobody. He's a shepherd boy. He's not king of Israel yet. He's, he's not even a soldier in the battle, let alone a commander or a captain or, or anything like that. But still, there's something notable about his resolve in the verse 29 when he looks at this Philistine, when he looks at Goliath, and he says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And isn't it amazing what God can do with the insignificant shepherd boy? when he has a, determine, uh, a determination to serve the Lord. And I believe we're to possess the same attitude as David, with this same uh, attitude before us. Is there not a cause? And maybe you say, well, well, I'm a nobody. I'm just an average person. I'm young, or I'm too old now, or, or I, I just have an ordinary job, or any of those things. Friend, never underestimate what God can do with you if you determine to stand for him. But I do believe we live in a day and a generation where we too, like David in this chapter, we have a battle before us. We have Philistines before us. We have a Goliath that needs to be conquered. Maybe you ask, what are those things? Well, I believe we still live in a day where we need to fight error. We still live in a day where people need to be educated as to the truth of the gospel and the truth of Protestantism. And essentially, we live in a day where we need to deal continuously with this truth that Protestantism is most certainly relevant in the 21st century. It isn't something just to be consigned to the history books. Now, as we get closer now to the end of October, we find ourselves coming uh, to Reformation Day, that day when we remember the 31st of October, 1517, when Almighty God mightily moved in liberating us from popish darkness through the commencement of the Protestant Reformation. But before we look at the 21st century and Protestantism today, I just want us to go back in time a little and explore Protestantism and where it has essentially originated from and where we have been in the past. Now, we will be looking at the world in the Dark Ages. That's where I want to begin. In the Dark Ages, you think about that. The name really gives it away in a sense. The Dark Ages. There's no light in it. There's certainly no light of the gospel. It's historical or secular historians that have called it the Dark Ages. I was looking at one quote this afternoon from a secular historian that said it is described as the Dark Ages because it was a time during which civilization underwent a decline, and nothing could be truer. Civilization certainly did undergo a decline. And why was it that way? Why was there such decline? Why was it the Dark Ages? Well, very simply, because Rome was in power, because the Roman Catholic Church had come to power and dominated the continent of Europe and large swathes of the globe as well. And you might ask, well, how did that come to be? Well, you remember, like I know, you have the book of Romans in your Bible. The Christians in Rome were originally a good church, 
a Christian church, people that love the Lord and the doctrines of grace. And you can read still and study today much of what we know about the Roman church in those early days when the Apostle Paul was writing to them in the New Testament. But that church eventually, over time, began to compromise and latterly began to apostatize. Now, we often say the word apostate. Well, what does that mean? It simply refers to a departure from Christ. Departure from Christ. People that were following Christ originally and then they departed from Christ. And I believe largely when you look through the history books, much of it had to do with the Roman Emperor Constantine the Great. Constantine the Great in 312 AD was apparently, uh, and I say quote-unquote, converted converted to Christianity. I don't believe he was converted, don't believe he was a Christian, because on the 28th of October, 312 AD, he was going into battle really to secure his, his authority over the west of the Roman Empire at that time. And he was apparently one that saw a vision or saw a sign from God, and it was a cross in the sky with the motto in Greek, in this sign conquer. And he sort of decided that he would try and make a deal with the Lord and said, if I win the battle, then I'll convert to Christianity. Well, anyone that's a true Christian here tonight knows that is not how a soul is saved. That is not how a soul is born again of the Spirit of God. There's no deals with God. There's no conditional trusting and converting to Christianity. We find it's repentance and belief in what Christ has done and the finished work of the shed blood that saves a soul. But ultimately, due to the conversion apparent of, uh, of Constantine, then, as we still see today, politicians and senators and all sorts of characters did their slippery work and tried to get in on Constantine the Great and decided they would by name change from paganism to Christianity and really it wasn't Christianity at all it was just forgive the lack of eloquence but a term Christianized paganism and over the years as the years went by the decades and the centuries eventually it morphed into what we now know as the Roman Catholic Church where essentially much of their rituals and doctrines can be traced back to paganism and ultimately a, a sort of sheen of Christianity over the top of it. And in those days when Constantine came to authority, the Bishop of Rome came to great prominence, came to great wealth. When the prominence and the wealth came in, the Bible and the gospel went out. And sadly, the dark ages essentially began. As the gospel light was extinguished in that sense, the darkness of popery seemed to flood across the world in those days. And hundreds of years passed by with Rome growing in power and truth being largely forgotten. But praise God, in 1483, there was a man born that God was going to use. And that man was the man Martin Luther. Long story short, he eventually became a monk he was so troubled and in anguish and turmoil of his soul day after day that he couldn't get peace with God and he couldn't reconcile himself to God through his good works. That He was continually saying masses or doing penance or going to the confessional box. In fact, his hierarchy got so fed up with him that one priest told him, Martin, don't bother come back to the confessional box until you have something worth confessing. 
And so his hierarchy thought it would be a good idea to send him on an errand to Rome, thinking that would secure his faith, put, put him that, that peace that he needed in his heart. Little did they know that actually it was going to turn him more against Rome than ever before. He came back with that sentiment that he thought Rome was actually built across hell. Such was the wickedness that he found there. Very famously, he said these words. I thought it was a magnificent quote. He said, The church of Rome has become most, uh, the most lawless den of thieves, the most shameless of all brothels, the very kingdom of sin, death, and hell, so that not even Antichrist, listen to this, talk about eloquence, so that not even Antichrist, if he were to come, could devise any addition to its wickedness. But praise God, Luther became a lecturer in the Bible, was studying through the book of Romans, reading Romans chapter 1, came across the verse 17. In a sense, it's ironic, really, how Luther was, as a Roman Catholic and steeped in Romanism, reading the original words of Paul to the original Roman Christians. And he rediscovered the truth of the gospel. In Romans 1 verse 17, when the Scriptures say, the just shall live by faith. And there was that realization at that point that it wasn't about good works, and it's not about mass, and it's not about, uh, not about confession, and it's not about penance, and it's not about any of those things. It's about what Christ has already done, the shed blood, and that the just shall live by faith. I know we're only skimming over this history, but eventually a man by the name of Tetzel came to town, selling his indulgences, selling, selling salvation, so Rome would say at a premium, and he was trying to raise money for the building of St. Peter's. And Luther, in his protest, decided he wanted a debate on the matter of indulgences. He wrote his 95 theses. And then on the 31st of October, 1517, nailed his 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg. You know, one Reformed preacher likened it to a blind man like Luther, to a blind man climbing up a church steeple and, and in his blindness and in the darkness of the dead of night was sort of groping around him, trying to find his way up the, the, to the very top of the church steeple. And as he got to the very top step, then he, he sort of lost his balance and in his blindness, in the darkness of the night, reached out to grab something to stabilize his balance and actually unwittingly grabbed the rope for the church bell. And in the darkness and blindness and not really realizing what he was doing, woke up the entire town by the ringing of the bells. So was the nailing of the 95 theses to the church door. And it was the greatest revival in history since Pentecost. And it's still a revival that we are feeling the effects of today. You know, it's interesting. We live in dark days. We live in days when people say, will there be another revival? I don't know. I hope there will be. I pray for revival. People say, are we living in the effects of revival? Still, yes, we are. Yes, we are. We're living under the effects of the Protestant Reformation, a revival that began 505 years ago. And you say, how do you know that? Because we're sitting in a Protestant church tonight, Martha's Memorial Free Presbyterian Church. But gathered for a, a Protestant society, the Evangelical Protestant Society. There's many a soul in this gathering, and you know the truth of the gospel, and you espouse to the Protestant faith within your heart, and you're glad of it. What is that? That is reaping the rewards of that revival that began 
over 500 years ago. And it truly was a remarkable move of God. But after examining some of that history, the question still is posed in society today, well, okay, preacher, I understand Protestantism a little more about it now. I understand maybe the reason for it. I understand something about the darkness as to why it was needed in those days over 500 years ago now. But, but the question still is before us, well, well is Protestantism still relevant? Or is it something we just need to forget about now? Is it just something we, we consign to history and we thank God for it, but, but we forget about it now? Is Protestantism relevant in the 21st century? In order to answer that question properly, we're going to examine three different questions. The first is, what is Protestantism? The second is, what do we mean by the term the 21st century? And then thirdly, going full circle, re-examining the title, well then, is Protestantism relevant in the 21st century? So let's examine this first question together. What is Protestantism? What is Protestantism? Now, Protestantism is a dirty word today. If you say, I'm a Protestant, people sort of frown at you a wee bit, and they don't don't like you the same. <laughs> it's not as nice as the term evangelical, really, is it? Not as nice as the term Christian. People, people seem to get a bit funny about the word Protestant. But there ought to be no cause for that. This is the problem today. People, people don't know what it means, and people love to remain in their ignorance on these subjects too. The word Protestant simply means to bear witness. To bear witness. And any true believer, that is our job. That is our job description, to bear witness to truth. To bear witness to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be soul winners, to fulfill the Great Commission, and to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Come with me if you have a copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, because the Lord tells us this. The Lord gives us this indication time and time again that we are called not to sit down by the fireside after we're saved, but we're called to join the fray. We're told to get on the front line for God. We're told to do something heralding forth and bearing witness to the truth. And we read in Matthew's gospel chapter 10, and look at the verse 27, the Lord tells us, what I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Preach it upon the housetops. Let everybody know, bearing witness for the truth. Now there are two aspects to Protestantism. We could say there's a, a positive and a negative aspect to Protestantism. The positive aspect is that we are bearing witness for things, for Christ, and for all that Christ is for. So if the Lord Jesus is for something in the Bible, then Protestants are to be for what Christ is for. But also there's the negative. Now a lot of evangelicalism today like to be for things, but they don't necessarily like to be against things. But the Lord gives us a twofold ministry, and there is a negative aspect that we are also to be against certain things. So we are to be all for what Christ is for, and we are to be against what Christ is against. And we are to be a protesting people. And we are to be a people that when we see error, when we see darkness, when we see sin, when we see the devil's crowd taking a foothold, we are to call it out for what it is. 
We're to be against certain things as well. John Calvin very famously said that the pastor or the preacher is to have two voices, a soft voice to feed the flock and an angry voice to scare away the wolves. Any good Christian minister is a Protestant and will have this twofold ministry. Now, the origin of the word Protestant. Well, where did essentially Protestantism come from? Now, something I do want to highlight, and I want to make this perfectly clear. Protestantism was not a new religion in 1517. It was not a new religion. It was not a new way of thinking. It wasn't something that Martin Luther had dreamed up. Rather, Protestantism, rather than being something new, is actually a rediscovery of something old. It's a rediscovery of the old truth found in the Word of God. You see, in the days of Constantine and much of the Roman Empire became this sort of pagan Christianity, that mix and formulate of what we now know as the Roman Catholic Church. The Bible was set aside. The Bible was then forgotten. The Bible was then burned and it was barred and others like Tyndale and men like that were, were dealt very severely with, burnt at the stake for daring to try and translate this Bible into our mother tongue. So we find that really all Protestantism is, is a rediscovery of old truth, a rediscovery of what the Lord was preaching, a rediscovery of what the apostles were preaching, a rediscovery of what the prophets were preaching, a rediscovery of the old gospel from Genesis to Revelation. It was a rediscovery of old truth that had been lost to a large extent in the time of the Dark Ages under papal supremacy. But then the word or the name Protestant, the noun Protestant itself, really first came into use at the time of the Diet of uh, Spears or Spires in 1529, 11 and a half years or so after Luther had nailed his theses to the church door at Wittenberg. Essentially, the Diet of Spires in 1529 was a gathering of uh, of various individuals, primarily by the Church of Rome, to try and outlaw Protestantism. And there were certain German princes, six of them to be, uh, to be particular, and, and 14 different city representatives that all signed a letter of protestation. Essentially, they put their lives on the line, their heads on the block. They didn't know whether it would be accepted, whether it would be rejected, whether they would die, whether they would flourish. But ultimately, by that letter of protestation was born the name Protestant, that there were those that would dare speak up against the tyranny of the day and protest, and they became known as Protestants. Now, what is the doctrine of a Protestant? Now, you'll be well aware, I'm sure, of the five solas, I want you, if you will, to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, because we find something of what a Protestant is, that we are to be for what Christ is for, against what Christ is against. We find something in history of our name in 1529, April of 1529, and the Diet of Spears and, uh, and the Letter of Protestation. But then you have the five solas that really came through the influence of the Protestant reformers as they studied the scriptures and rediscovered the old truth. And the first of those was sola gratia or grace alone. And we read all about this in Ephesians chapter 2. 
Look there with me, please. Ephesians 2 and the verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And this is a foundational principle, a fundamental principle that ultimately our salvation, our redemption, our being reconciled to God, our entrance into heaven is not because of our good works. It's not about our church attendance. It's not about going to mass or confessional or doing penance or paying money or doing any of those things. But it's all of grace. It is a gift. The word grace means unmerited favor. That's all it is, unmerited favor. In other words, God has given his favor to us and we couldn't do anything to merit it. It's unmerited favor. And that's what the word of God tells us in that portion in the verse 9. It's not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. You see, the Lord knows our hearts. The Lord knows our sinful hearts that even if Christ, when he died and shed his blood, had paid for 99.9% of your sin and left just one sin behind for you to deal with, still you would boast if you got to heaven on your own merit. So it's not by works, lest any man should boast, but at all, all of grace. Jonah hit the nail on the head when he said salvation is of the Lord. But then there's a second sola, sola fide. Sola fide, what does that mean? It means faith alone. Faith alone. And we find that in Ephesians 2 and the verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Now let me also say this. As Protestants, we hold to the Reformed doctrine. And we believe that faith is needed in order to be right with God. But even in our total depravity and our sinfulness, we can't even muster up the faith ourselves. The Holy Spirit of God even gives us that as a gift and gives us the very faith to believe and accept this grace that is freely offered to our souls. And you say, well, what is faith? Well, faith is the vehicle. I'll put it this way. Faith is the vehicle that transports us to that place where, where we, we long to actually do as the Scriptures command and repent and believe the gospel. Faith is a vehicle. All of us came to this meeting tonight, no doubt, in a vehicle. We moved from one location to the other, and you came in your car to the meeting. Well, well, faith is that vehicle that brings us to God, and it's grace alone, through faith alone. And what is grace bestowed upon us in, and what is our faith centered upon? Centered upon the third sola, solus Christus. It's centered upon a person. You see, this is the difference with Protestantism. And Christianity, biblical Christianity, it's not just a religion. It's not a, a, a list of rules and regulations. Protestantism is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And our faith is centered entirely and completely upon Christ alone. And you read all about that in John 14, verse 6, when Christ said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And let me say this, if there's one in the gathering and you're not saved as yet, maybe you are trying to work your way to heaven. Maybe you are trying to please the Lord your own way with church attendance or giving money or reforming your life or any of those things. Put it all aside, friend. It's just popery. I tell you this, you need Christ. You need the grace of God. You need to come to Christ in faith and repentance. And only then will you be truly saved. But then you find the fourth, the fourth sola, sola scriptura. Now, this is the wonderful thing, and this is essentially one of the distinguishing marks about Protestantism. Where does our faith come from? 
It comes from something that we term divine revelation. God revealing his truth to us. And how does God reveal his truth through us? Through the scriptures, through the Bible, through the word of God, and that alone. And it's not as Rome would claim. It's not through the tradition of the church fathers. It's not through documents that are found in the Vatican Library. It's not through what the Pope may proclaim. It's not through what the local priest may say in his homily. That is not how you hear the voice of God. You hear God speaking through his word and through his word alone. And we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in the verses 16 and 17 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Simply put, all scripture is God-breathed, the word of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And then the fifth principle of Protestantism, the fifth fundamental, soli deo gloria. You're in the book of Ephesians. Look at Ephesians 1 and the verse 3 with me. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Here we find the idea that we are to bring our praise and our glory to Christ and to Christ alone. Look at the verse 6. It says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, because only God is worthy of the praise. And so ideal glory means to the glory of God alone. Not to the glory of the church, not to the glory of the Pope, not to the glory of the tradition of the fathers, not to the glory of man at all, but to the glory of God alone. And let me give a warning in this as well, that at times Rome will be able to say, well, we believe that you're saved through grace. We believe you're saved through faith. Rome will freely say, we believe you're saved through Christ. We believe you hear the voice of God through the scriptures. And we believe to the glory of God. But there's one little word they conveniently miss. And it's that word sola. Alone. Alone. At times it's not always what someone says. You've got to listen for what they don't say. And that's the trouble with the church of Rome. There's no alone it's grace plus works. It's Friday, faith plus what we tell you to do. It's Christ plus works and what the Pope tells you and the church tradition is. It's scripture plus the tradition of the fathers. It's sole ideal glory to the glory of God and us. And it's all added on. But then I hope we've learned what a Protestant is, what a Protestant stands for, where a Protestant the name has originated from, what even the doctrines of a Protestant are. Now I want you to note with me, secondly, what do we mean by the term 21st century? Now we're looking at the question, well, well is Protestantism relevant in the 21st century? So I'd like to think we have an idea now of what Protestantism is. Essentially, Protestantism is just Bible Christianity. That's all it is. It's Bible Christianity. And if you're a Christian tonight, then you're a Protestant. If you're a Protestant tonight, you're a Christian. They're synonymous terms. You can't be a Protestant without having saving faith in Christ. Well, you could be a loyalist, you could be a unionist, you could be anything else that's an ist, and they're all good things too. Don't, don't think I'm disagreeing with it. I'm those things as well. But to be a Protestant, you must have Christ. To be a true Protestant. 
But then, not only what is Protestantism, but what do we mean by the 21st century? Now, obviously, all of you are well aware, it's a period of time. It's a, a measurement of time. We know this. You, you talk about the 1st century, you may talk about the 10th century, the 15th, 17th century, 20th century, the 21st century. Of course, it's a period of time, but it's much more than that. It's a buzzword today, for want of a better term. It's a buzzword for, for modernism, for liberalism. It's that sort of idea that, well, we've moved on now, sure, we're, we're in the 21st century, aren't we? We're more enlightened now. We, we know better than the, what the Bible says. We know, we know better than what the reformers had to say. We're more enlightened now. And you ask, well, is this saving faith of Christ and Christianity and Protestantism, is it relevant in our day and generation? Of course it is. As long as the souls that are in their sin and heading to hell, Protestantism has to be relevant. It must be. Come with me to Romans chapter 1, please. Romans chapter 1. I want you to see that, don't worry, we see a whole lot of fools around in the 21st century. Well, there's always been a fool or two around. The, the world has been plenteous of people that are ignorant and love to uh, demonstrate their ignorance by opening their mouths as well. And it's Romans chapter 1 and the verse 22. The Apostle Paul obviously met characters like this because he says here in Romans 1 and the verse 22 that there were many individuals with their hearts darkened, and it says in the verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That's much of what we see when people say, sure, forget about truth. We're in the 21st century. Professing themselves to be wise, they became Fools. We see it in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and the verse 7 as well. Ever learning, ever learning. We live in a day where people are maybe more intelligent, it seems, than they've ever been before. There's intelligence, there's scholar, uh, scholars out there, there's universities galore. People are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And Protestantism is relevant even in this modern era. You know, when we think of the 21st century, that buzzword has been the excuse for much putting away of truth, hasn't it? You think of even the last five years, for example, we'll not, we'll not trail through every single instance of this, but the last five years, we'll take that as an example, 2017, the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, a, a Protestant, quote-unquote, church, a Protestant church, the clerk, Reverend Trevor Gribben, said concerning the Presbyterian Church and the Roman Catholic Church in 2017 that they started a formal church-to-church -church theological dialogue with the Roman Catholic Church. Why on earth would a Protestant need theological dialogue with Rome? Why would we need theological dialogue when you have all the theology you need in the Scriptures of Truth? You don't have to consult men. You certainly don't have to consult men in their darkness and in their sin. Yeah, that's, that's Protestantism in the 21st century. Try 2017 again. Try Scotland, the Presbyterian Church in Scotland. At that particular time, five years ago, the moderator was a man by the name of the Reverend Browning. The irony is, for the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, he's found in the Vatican. <laughs> I wonder, for the 500th anniversary, did you go see the Pope? I don't think so. But he did. He thought that was the place to be. 
And he said concerning the Pope and the Church of Rome and the, as, a, as a Presbyterian moderator in Scotland, we are no longer adversaries. Well, I hope each and every soul here is an adversary of Rome. I really hope you do because Rome has condemned millions of people to the pit of hell. And we are the adversaries of anything that is the devil's handiwork. No longer adversaries. He said it is better to build a longer table than a higher fence. Beautiful, beautiful. Then 2019, let's move forward a wee bit. 2019, you had the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. I'm sure when you see him on the television, you're, you're just ready, wait a breath, uh, bait a breath, waiting at the edge of your seat to see what this man has to say of Protestant significance today. Because, of course, he is the leader of the Protestant church, the established church. I'm sure many of you don't hold out too much hope. But in 2019, he was quoted as saying, it was wonderful. What was wonderful? To see Church of England clergy becoming Roman Catholic priests. Wonderful. Then we think, well, is that it? 2019? Let's move forward to April of this year, 2022, when the Reverend Steve Stockman, Presbyterian minister in our own province, went to see the Pope. And he was quoted this year as saying that the Pope is a follower of Jesus a man of God who had an incredible wisdom and heart to share with me. Friend, I tell you, the Pope is not a man of God. He is not a follower of Jesus Christ. And if Steve Stockman believes so, then I would doubt that he is a follower of Jesus Christ also. But even in recent days, we see even the funeral and the various services of a, our late Queen, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, and we didn't have to wait for a Roman priest to utter prayers for the dead. We heard it from the so-called Protestants praying for the departed soul of our Queen. Prayers for the dead. And so many Protestants, so many Protestants that should know better writing RIP on their flowers and anything else. A prayer for the dead. It's tragic. And that's the 21st century. That's the background that we find ourselves in. That's what's going on day in, day out, in our province, in our nation, in this globe. And we ask the question then again, in knowing what Protestantism is, that it's true faith in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, and standing for what Christ is for, and being against what Christ is against. And with that backdrop of the 21st century, we come back to the third question and the title of our meeting, is Protestantism relevant with that background? Is it relevant in the 21st century? It's more relevant today than maybe ever before. We need men and women that are willing to stand. We need individuals that are willing to stand in the gap, to go on the front line, to be counted for God. Because too many have their heads buried in the sand. Too many have forgotten the truths of the gospel. Too many think it's okay to let the devil get a foothold. And we need Protestants with a resolve like David saying, is there not a cause? Is there not something to battle for in these days? Is there not something to get impassioned about? You know, I was looking just at some of the figures in our own parliament in this sitting of the House of Commons. And there are over 70 Roman Catholic MPs. It's a staggering amount, really, when you think about it, when you consider the history of our parliament, and, and when you think at one time Roman Catholics weren't even allowed to stand for parliament, 
not only that, you have 15 Muslim MPs, one Sikh MP. Actually, one of the figures I found most staggering was the fact that there are uh, 45 openly sodomite members of parliament. You think of that. Out of 650, 45 declare themselves as doing that which is an uh, abomination in the sight of God. 150 MPs opted to say their oath when coming into office on no religious text whatsoever. You know, that's fascinating because that tells a story in and of itself. You know, most people, secular people, even if they don't believe the Bible, would still be willing to put their hand on the Bible to swear an oath. You see it in the courtrooms of our nation all the time. But there were 150 of our MPs willingly chose and said, I don't want the Bible anywhere near me when I swear my oath to the, the monarchy. Isn't that tragic? And now in these days we have our first British Prime Minister who is a Hindu. I ask, friend, is there not a cause? Is Protestantism not needed today in the 21st century? Is there not a cause? You know, David saw it in his day. David saw the Philistine before him. David saw what to everybody else was this unconquerable Goliath. And he said, I don't care. Give me a sling. Give me a stone. I'll take him down. Oh, that we would fight in the power of God. Realizing if God be for us, who can be against us? Because I tell you, these giants that are before us, there is nothing still in comparison to our God. David saw it. Luther saw it in his day. What a giant, what a Goliath he was taking on in 1517. I ask, do we see our Goliath today? Do we see our Goliath in the 21st century? You know... Sometimes, well, I, I enjoy reading history. I enjoy reading biographies. And sometimes you can find yourself uh, asking the question, wouldn't it have been good to live in those days? Whatever days you're reading about, revival days, covenanter days, reformation days. At times you can, wouldn't it have been wonderful to, to live in those days and see those individuals and hear those men preach and things like that. But I tell you this, God has a job for you today. And we read in Esther chapter 14 this word. Thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Protestant, you are come to the kingdom for the 21st century. You are come to the kingdom to face these Goliaths. Thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I trust that you will be willing to stand. I trust that you'll have the same resolve as David. Is there not a cause? So, is Protestantism relevant in the 21st century? I submit to you, my friends, Protestantism is most certainly relevant in the 21st century. And by God's grace, we will go forward and we will stand for King Jesus.